All right, praise the Lord. So we'll be in 1 Corinthians 2, and we're going to look tonight at verses 6 through 16. So we'll finish the chapter. Let's just pray before we get into God's Word. Lord, thank you for your Word, and I pray you'll open our hearts and open our, our understanding to know the things that you want us to know. Lord, I pray you would convey to us the truths that you desire to put into us so that we can share them with others. Lord, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the message of the cross. It truly is the power of God to us who are being saved, Lord. And I pray we would be dispensers of that gospel, Lord, the way you intend us to be dispensers in power, not in the wisdom of this world, Lord, but in demonstration of power, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, and we just pray you'll speak to us as we look at your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. So I'm going to call tonight earthly wisdom or carnal wisdom versus wisdom from above, spiritual wisdom. And Paul is basically continuing on. He just shared how he basically shares the word, that he doesn't do it with persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and in power. And so now he's continuing on here in verse 6, and he says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. So when he says we speak wisdom among those who are mature, we could use the word perfect there to those that are perfect. And really what it means is those who are maturing in the faith, they're not babes in Christ, they're maturing. They have spiritual discernment and they're prepared. They're letting God prepare them for deeper revelations. And when we're talking about that tonight, like deeper things of the Spirit and all that, it really is just talking about the gospel and the reality of the gospel. It's the things angels want to look into. It's our redemption. It's our sanctification. It's Christ made unto us wisdom. It's deep stuff. And the more you delve into it, it really is a wonder of wonders. And we need to let God make it more real, more real, more deep, to us. As Paul prayed in Ephesians, that God would open up our understanding to know uh, the love of Christ, the riches of the gospel. So it's deeper revelations of the gospel. This is so important. Many truths of the gospel are appreciated only by those who are maturing spiritually. And that's why it's important. We don't want to stay on milk. We want to move on. So that's what he's talking about. So he means press, he's pressing on the Corinthians that they should reach Christian manhood or Christian maturity. He's urging them on, and I'm urging you on. God's urging us on to maturity. So I'm going to read some verses that talk about this. I, I reference to Ephesians 1, where Paul is praying. He says, after, in verse 15, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, 
making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, here it is, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. So he's not talking about doctrines and you know getting all your doctrines. It's talking about Christ. It's talking about the gospel, revelations of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? So you see what it's talking about here. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? There it is. Toward us who believe. Same words used in the first chapter we looked at, right? The power of God. It is the power of God. His mighty power, which he worked in Christ um, when he raised him from the dead and seated him. Wait, I, I kind of bypassed something there, didn't I? Yeah, that you may know the hope is called, what are the riches of this glory, of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, that every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. He put all things under his feet. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. So don't you think we need a greater understanding of that? You think it would give us a little more confidence in him? And that he's able to work through us and do through us individually and as a body what he's wanting to do in the earth. That's why this is so important. That's why Paul prayed this constantly for these new believers. Then in 1 Peter 1, verse 10, talking about this salvation, he says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So it's talking about all the prophecies that were hidden, that are now revealed. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. The gospel that you have received, that I have received, that someone preached to us that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, opened up our understanding to know the truth. It's such a powerful thing. I don't know if we really comprehend the miracle of salvation. It really is a miracle. Then Ephesians 3, verse 14. A lot of praise in Ephesians in the first three chapters. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you 
being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Important statement there. This is not intellectually known. It surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's my prayer for you. That was Paul's prayer for the church. It's God's desire for us that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So now he goes on. This wisdom, it's not the wisdom. What I'm talking to you about, it's not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing. In other words, it's, this is not of the earth what we're talking about here. It's what uh, James spoke of, because what is of the earth is based in pride and it's based in human intellect or the fallen carnal mind. And James talks about this other wisdom, this earthly wisdom in James 3.15. He says, this wisdom doesn't descend from above. It's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And even the rulers of this age, the world rulers, which in Ephesians we understand, right, are spirits. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but their principalities, their powers, their rulers of darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That is the spirit of the world. That's cosmos when it talks about the spirit of this world. And that's what people are in that haven't responded to the gospel. They're blinded, and they're operating in that spirit. So those people aren't our enemies, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Just like you and I, at one time in our lives, we're hostile. We, we operated in the natural reason mind. We operated in that mindset until the gospel penetrated our hearts. It's what the Roman governors were in. It's what the Jewish leaders were in when they crucified Christ. The carnal mind. And it says about that, it will all come to nothing. So let us who are wise understand that. You know, with all their swelling words and all the things they propose to do and decrees they make, it will all come to nothing. Right? We're told in 1 John 2, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, it's of the world, and it's passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we have the gospel, we have the wisdom of God that's going to abide forever. It's not passing away. And this is important for us to understand, and you're going to see why, especially when we're sharing the gospel with other people that are still blinded. Because we think we're going to convince them. We think we're going to talk them in to believe in the gospel. But the more you get into this and the more Paul is describing how this actually happens, you realize if God doesn't open a person's understanding, it's futile to try and reason with someone mentally to get them to agree what, with what you know to be true, but you know it because you know it spiritually. And that's what he's going to start to get into. Because he says in verse 7 now, 
but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom of God, ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord. That's kind of what I said earlier. In other words, this wisdom is of God. The plan of salvation is from a divine mind. It's not earthly. It's otherworldly. It's a mystery. In other words, it was hidden. Although the prophets talked about it, it was a mystery that was hidden and then was revealed through Christ. And now it has been manifested. It was also foredained before the ages. In other words, God foreknew. He foresaw the gospel in his infinite mind that has no um, timeline like we do. He's in eternity. He knows the beginning and the end. I can't explain that fully to you. But he knew, he understood there was going to be need for us to be redeemed. And he had a plan even before the world began. Just, again, get you a little outside of our natural reason minds to understand the mystery, the, the depths of the gospel and what God has done for us. It really is mind-blowing. It's not of this world. It's heaven-born. And it's hostile to God. Therefore, it's no wonder, right? It's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to them those who have been blinded by the God of this world. It talks about that in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. It says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And there's a key thing about believing in there. Uh, we think of the word of believe as like, yeah, I believe that. But when it's talking about believing the gospel, it, there's a different meaning. It's, it's, it's a Greek word, hopako. I think that's how you say it. And the meaning is to come under what you're hearing. In other words, you humble yourself and you come under and you obey it. And Paul uses that phrase sometimes, those who have obeyed the gospel. It's not just hearing and agreeing with something. It's actually coming under it. It's, it gives the picture of humbling myself and coming under it, submitting myself to it. It's what Jesus meant when he said, take heed how you hear. That's what he meant. Make sure you hear right so you believe right. Um, so then... Uh, it says, which none of these rulers of the age knew, for if they had known, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. So in other words, I shared this. When the Jews, when the Romans were united, they were of one spirit. If you think about it, the world's in one spirit in effecting the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. Neither party to the proceeding can be said to have understood or realized what they were doing. And it proves it because Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, 
They don't know what they're doing. They don't see. They don't understand what they're doing. And so, again, that's important for us when we want to get mad at people that are hostile to God. You ever feel that? You get mad when you see someone mocking God or whatever? We should have compassion. We should be able to say, like, Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Father, grant them repentance. Father, forgive them. Help them. Open up their understanding. That should be our heart. It was the heart of Jesus when he was on the cross. Because God doesn't desire that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We should be praying for the enemies of the cross. Proclaiming the gospel to them. Right? Because they're blinded, just like we were. We were blinded. And we should pray, Father, open their eyes. Let the light of the gospel pierce their hearts. Verse 9 says, But as, as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul answers with, you know, because we preach these things which surpass man's understanding, man cannot so much think of them, much less conceive of them with their senses. Again, we have to remember that. They can't conceive it. It doesn't make sense. It's like when I'm talking to the guy next door to the counseling center. He doesn't understand. It doesn't make sense to him. I could see it on his face when I'm talking to him. The guy I've been talking to in prison, same thing. He doesn't understand. He's trying to figure it out in his mind. It doesn't make sense to him. He's got a lot of questions. So I can't open their eyes, but God can. And that's where prayer comes in. That's why intercession is so important. And so almost every day I pray for this guy, knowing I'm going to talk to him on Thursday, tomorrow. Father, open his eyes. God, open up his understanding. God, let your word pierce his heart like when Peter preached to that crowd that were cut to the heart, and all of a sudden their eyes were open, and they realized, we crucified the Son of God. What are we going to do? How did that happen? Did Paul sit and kind of just convince them mentally? No, he was under the power of the Spirit of God. There was an anointing on him. He was preaching the word in power, and it pierced. It was spirit, and it pierced the hearts of those people, and they were undone. The light pierced it, and they, they, they embraced it. They came under it. They were guilty before God. That's what happens. It's powerful. Isaiah 64, 4, which is really what Paul is quoting here, says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits on him. So there's that key phrase, who acts for the one who waits on him. Those who wait for, the God, for God, Isaiah puts it, Paul says it, 
those who love God. Same meaning. Those who are enlightened, those who are enriched by it. The spirit that is filled with gratitude and with love is therefore therefore prepared to understand and appreciate the mysteries of divine grace. Those that are humbled by it. The true love, and here it is, I shared this earlier, which puts on the form of obedience is the path to spiritual perfection. And that's key for us. In other words, if we love him, we obey him. The more we obey him, the more we know him, the more the Spirit reveals the deeper things of God to us. And that's why Christians stay babes. They don't live in obedience to the Word of God. They look at the Word, it's like a man looking in the mirror, but because they're not doers of the Word, they forget, and they never grow in the knowledge of God. But those that are obeying, those that are responding and humbling themselves and taking in the Word of God with meekness, they're growing, they're deepening in the knowledge of God. The Spirit is revealing the deeper things of God to them. Those who love Him, those who have been obedient to the gospel, those who have humbled themselves and come under His Word. And so then he goes on in verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. Here it is. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, For what man knows the things of a man except except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is in from God. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? Why? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And I want to shout that to you. You need to understand the things that have freely been given to you by God. Romans 8, verse 6 says, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I'll say it this way. Those who are thinking with the mind of the flesh can't please God. But if you're thinking with the mind of the Spirit, you will please Him because you'll understand the things He wants you to understand, and you'll see the way He sees You'll be looking through the right lens. I say it that way. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You hear how he says it? It's like if you're a Christian, this should be like ABCs. But you're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And I'll just share, when I'm counseling or I'm dealing with people, after a while, if like they just don't get what you're teaching them biblically, and you could kind of see it in their face, they just don't understand. I've seen it when I used to travel a lot in churches, and I'd be preaching, 
And I could look at people and they'd be looking at me like, what is this guy talking about? I, I don't. Just this look of, what are you talking about? And so then you wonder like, okay, is the Spirit of God in this person? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? When you're hearing truth, right, there's something in you that's going, yes, yes, that's it. It's bearing witness. The Spirit of God bears witness to the truth. You know, well, what is that? It's the Spirit in you. That's the evidence. The Holy Spirit is given to our spirit so that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Romans 8.15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. You need to know that. Someone, I heard someone say once, uh, we do a discredit when we tell someone they're a Christian. Because how do I know? They should know. There should be something in them that knows I am a child of God. Because the Spirit bears witness to that. So we need to be careful you know, when we do that. Um, very careful. Um, so he's referring again that we might know that when he says we might know the things that are freely given to us, he's referring to the blessings of our redemption, the part of an, pardon of our sin, our justification, our sanctification, the divine favor, the protection, and the hope of eternal life. It's kind of what I shared on Sunday. When he is Lord, all these things, and I could have went on and on. I mean, there's, I just covered, you know, what I could in the time I had, but it goes on and on and on. Just Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, just those three chapters. If you just like meditate on those, Paul starts his letter to the Ephesian church with reminding them of basically everything they have in Christ. And it's right. If we're following Christ, if we have made him Lord, it's right for us to understand what is ours in Christ and to own it. God wants us to do that. We're not orphans living in someone's house, afraid. I remember Jackie Pullinger sharing she would take orphans in off the street and she would basically adopt them and tell them, this is your home now. Everything here is yours or whatever. But they would be afraid or tentative to like go to the refrigerator and get, and she'd be like, go ahead. It's this is all yours now. You don't have to ask me. Everything in there is yours. And it's like God says that to us, but we act like we're orphans. Like, oh, I don't know, you know. Yeah, I, I need this, and God told me, give me everything, but uh, I don't know, you know. And God's like, your Father in heaven's like, I, I've given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. Take it. Take it. It's yours. These are the things we need to know so we can grow deeper and deeper in the knowledge of them. And then he goes on, verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So Paul's returning here to his purpose, which he began in verse 6. 
um, when he says that the words must be delivered by the Spirit, not by enticing words of man's eloquence or wisdom, because it's spirit to spirit. It's spirit to spirit. Comparing spiritual things with the spiritual. In other words, explaining spiritual things to spiritual persons, to men who are enlightened or taught by the Holy Spirit. And again, that's why prayer is so important. So if I know I'm counseling with someone, I pray. God, lead me. Holy Spirit, give me the words to speak. I always pray this way before counseling, before meeting with anyone. Lord, you know what this person needs. Lord, lead me, guide me into your truth. I'll pray it with people as I'm sitting there. Most of you that have counseled, no, I always pray that, right? Um, but I'm also praying, Lord, open up their heart. Help them, Lord, to, to hear your voice. Help them to receive your truth. Because without that, what am I doing? Just teaching behavior modification, giving them some good tools. That's not the goal of counseling. The goal of counseling is discipleship. It's conforming them to the image of Christ. That should always be the goal. So comparing spiritual with spiritual. And the next verse bears this out. Verse 14. The natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Just remember that the next time you're talking to someone or a family member, whoever. Just get a hold of this. What you are saying to them is foolishness. It makes no sense unless the Spirit of God opens up their heart and understanding. Should we share truth? Absolutely. Share it. But then pray that God would open up their heart to receive that truth. But don't try to win an argument or debate. It's futile. That's not how you win someone to Christ. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18, again, the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the thing is sometimes, I don't know, with me, it's so real to you. You want them to know, so you're like trying to convince them. I'm telling you, man, you don't understand what God did for me. And you're, you know, you're, and they're looking at you like, okay, I'm glad, you know, but I don't get it. But we should have an excitement. We should be sharing that and let them see this is real in the spirit. There's something powerful about that. It's not just dead words. It's not just some religion I, you know, got into and joined a church and now, you know, I'm a good person and I do this and I do that. No, this is something, it's alive, it's real, and your words are spirit. They're alive. It's not just some head knowledge you've gained that have kind of helped your life, you know, helped you manage life. No, something radical has happened to you. You can't contain that. And it comes out in that way. I read this verse earlier. Uh, maybe I did in Romans 8. No, maybe I read a little further. But in verse 5 it says, again, talking about the flesh versus the spirit, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, 
But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, and it can't be. We need the mind of the Spirit. And even as believers, we can get in the mind of the flesh. It's a discipline. Set your mind, it says in Colossians 3, right? Set your mind on the things above. Philippians 4, 8. Think on these things. We have to take our minds and set them on the things above and get in the Word of God and pray and let the Holy Spirit help us to see and understand things the way God does. When we do that, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a joy, there's a calmness, even though things might be stormy around us in life. Only God can do that. And God, uh, the devil can use us when we're not thinking in the spirit and we're carnally minded. We see an example of that when Jesus rebuked Peter. When he turned to Peter in Matthew 16, 23, he says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, was Peter Satan? <laughs> was that what Jesus was saying? How would you react? If you said something to me in a flash. I'd get behind me, Satan. What was Jesus saying? It's like, he, well, he said, he said, you are an offense to me because you're not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of men. In other words, Peter, you're in the flesh. You're not seeing things correctly, Peter. You're thinking like the devil. That's his way of thinking, the natural reasoning mind. We need the mind of the Spirit. Verse 15 says, but he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. He that is spiritual, in other words, he that is born of the Spirit, minds the things of the Spirit. He judges all things. What that means is he's able to discern because he has the Spirit. Truth from error. He contests things. So important in the days we're living. We need spiritual discernment. That's what that's talking about. Again, it's like when Jesus says to Peter, Jesus discerned, uh, Peter, you're in the flesh. You're not mindful of the things of God. That's from the flesh. He had discernment. Yet he himself is judged by no one. In other words, what it means is his feelings, his principles, his views, his hopes, his fears, his joys can't be judged or understood by someone that doesn't have the Spirit. How can they judge you? They don't understand. That's what that means. It doesn't mean, you know, Christians want to grab that. See? No one should judge me. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about an earthly person casting judgment on you who are spiritual. They can't. They don't understand. They don't see right. They're not in a place to discern what's going on with you, whether it's true or not. Um, so no, no one of the world should judge you according to the gospel. Verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
So there's two camps in humanity, only two. Those divided into the natural mind, those who are spiritual, or those who have received the gospel, and now the Spirit of God dwells in them, and their understanding has been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. The natural man doesn't have the Spirit of God, therefore cannot discern spiritual things. And that's humanity, groping in the dark, right? Blinded by the God of this age. It's not until there's a new birth and the Spirit is implanted in us that we go from darkness to light. And that's what's happened to us, right? That's the gospel. We've received a higher life. We have the mind of Christ his views, his feelings were influenced by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so our aim should be not to try to wow people with our intellect or wisdom or just like Paul said in the beginning of the chapter, not with persuasive words of wisdom and all that. We have a higher truth and we need to give it in its simplicity but in power, not in the wisdom of this world, but in the Spirit of God. That's the difference. I'll read this little story to close. Uh, There was a man who was called to preach in a rich, fashionable congregation. Um, Wait, sorry. Let me just read the whole thing because it won't make sense if I don't, okay? Talking about us, anybody, we share the gospel with, all right? Their aim, us, should be speak the simple truth in a language pure, intelligible to all. Let it be remembered that if there was ever any place where it would be proper to, to seek eloquence, it was at Corinth where they were into that, the intellect, philosophy, and all that. That's why Paul was saying what he was saying. If in any city now or in any refined or proper society, it would have been right. It would have been right in Corinth. Let this thought rebuke those who, when they preach to a fashionable auditory, seek to fill their sermons with embellishment rather than with solid thought with the tinsel of rhetoric rather than with pure language. And the man who is called to preach in a rich and fashionable congregation should remember that he's stationed there not to please ears, not to give the ears what they want to hear, but to save the soul. His object is not to display his talent or eloquence, but to rescue his hearers from ruin. It's powerful. This purpose will make the mere ornaments of rhetoric appear small. It will give seriousness to our discourse, gravity to his diction, unction to his eloquence, heart to his arguments. Heart, not head. Heart. his arguments. 
and success to his ministry. So if Paul trembled at Corinth in view of dangers and difficulties, if he was conscious of his weakness, his feebleness, how much more should we if the Apostle Paul did that? But we also shouldn't be afraid because we have the gospel. We have the power of God. We shouldn't cower in the corner. But we should share it in fear and trembling. We should share it um, with the understanding that unless the Holy Spirit moves me and moves that person, that person will not be able to receive what we're saying to them. That's where prayer and intercession for ourselves and for them really comes to the, to the forefront. So if we're conscious of our charge to share the gospel, but yet we're anxious, afraid to deliver it, let's remember, you know, that we have the power of God at our resources. That's kind of what God's been doing here in our midst. That's what he did for the apostles. He empowered them. Look what happened to Peter when God gave him power from on high to share the gospel. Look how many people were pierced, convicted, and brought into the kingdom of light. So let's just really think about what Paul is sharing here in the end of this chapter, and, and let's pursue maturity. Let's go on to maturity. Let's pursue him, seek him, get in the word, and learn the things he wants us to learn, the deeper things. Let's grow in, first and foremost in our knowledge of him and the reality of what our redemption is so that we can share it in power to those that need it. And Lord, I thank you. It's, it's really hard for the mind to wrap around the depths of what is being talked about here because it really is so deep that the angels stoop down. They want to look into the deepness of it. It's just beyond human comprehension what you have actually done with the gospel. But Lord, we have it. It is saving us. It has saved us. It is the power of God. And Lord, I know all of us are growing in that knowledge. We're deepening in our understanding, Lord. We'll never pierce the depths of it. But Lord, I'm just thankful that somehow you got that light in me. You got it in these men. Sometimes I don't even know how it happened. It was just a miracle. But Lord, we have this treasure now in these earthen vessels. And if the power is not of us, it's of God. And Lord, I pray in the days to come, you'll help us to share it in that power with those that are still blinded, that don't understand, Lord, that you'll open up their hearts to this glorious gospel, Lord. So we thank you and just trust, Lord, that you'll just continue to reveal these deeper truths to us so that we can share them with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.